Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. My closet at home is, is not really all that big. So every so often I have to go in there and take a look. And if I'm going to get any new clothes, I have to take some of the old clothes out. Anybody else have that happen? Like you've got, you've got shirts that maybe are sentimental to you because you remember the place where you wore them 25 years ago. Hard to part with. But you just go at some point, it's got to go. And every so often, I'll, I'll see that little look in Rhonda's eye. No, not that look. I see this look in Rhonda's eye where she says, it's time to clean out your closet because it's, there's just no room in there. And so we have to go in and we have to look what is in here that has to go so that there can be room for something else. Rhonda and our daughter Carissa are kind of my, my fashion gurus. And the things that, that happen in there fall into a couple different categories. One is when Rhonda or Carissa says, you see that there? You must never wear that again. <laughs> never again. And then there's some things that you just, you just, you have and they just, they don't fit anymore. Sometimes it's just shirts that just, you know, whatever they don't fit. And usually it's, it's, it's shirts go out of style, pants don't fit is kind of how that works, right? And you look at certain things, you're like, that has to go. And if it doesn't go, then there's not room for something new to take its place. Today, I want to challenge you to to do a little evaluation of your spiritual closet. And maybe to put some things in a laundry basket of sorts and say, that's it, I, I can't have that anymore. It's time for me to clean this out. Because here's a reality, here's just a truth of life. If you're going to make room for something new, you have to get rid of something old. You have to make some room. I had an uncle, Uncle Everett, who had a garage, big two-car garage, that never had a car in it the whole time he owned the house because it was packed full of junk. And all the time, he was bringing home junk on top of junk on top of junk until the place where he had to put a shed out back so he would have a place for new junk. (laughs) And for some of us, our lives get like that. And we have all this stuff that we've put in. And the reality is there's new things that need to come in. There's greater things that need to come in. But if that's gonna happen, it may mean that we have to clean out our spiritual closets. Here's a truth. To have something greater, you must lose something less. To have something of greater value may come to a place in your life where you have to choose to lose something of less value. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter three today. We've been a series of messages called More Than a Story. And we've been looking at some of the the stories from the gospels about the life of Jesus. And we've been talking about the fact that these weren't just fairy tales. They weren't just fables that we talk about in Sunday school. These are real things that happened that have the real power to affect our lives today. They're more than just a story. And today we're gonna actually look at, at a character in the scriptures named John the Baptist. In a statement that he made that has transformational power in relation to your life and your relationship with Jesus Christ. John chapter three, verse 30, backs up this principle that we're talking about today. To have something greater, you must lose something less. And some people ask John a question about Jesus. And I want you to look at his answer. John chapter three, verse 30, here's what he says. He must become greater, I must become less. John says, Jesus must become greater, and I must become 
less. The English Standard Version, and I think the King James as well, says it a little bit even more succinctly when it says this, he must increase, but I must decrease. It's pretty clear, isn't it? (laughs) He must increase, but I must decrease. Easy to say, a little bit trickier to do. And before we unpack that, that pretty simple statement today, I wanna go backwards in the story a little bit. I wanna give you some context about what was happening at that time, how it relates to our lives, and that'll help us to see how we can apply this truth today. So let's go back a little bit in the story. John chapter three, beginning with verse 22. Let's look at what we read here. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. So let me give you a little bit of background here on what was happening. This was a really good season. This was a good time for both John the Baptist and Jesus. There were a lot of people who were coming out to hear them preach. They were coming out. They were being impacted by the miracles and the things that they were saying. They were choosing to follow them in the beliefs that they were teaching. And both of them, as we'll we'll talk about here in a moment, they were baptizing. Now it's important for us to understand who these characters are. Because sometimes when you read through the Bible, if you don't understand some of the history or the background, it can get a little bit confusing. When you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are two people who are called John. Their name was John. One was John the Apostle. He was one of the 12 that Jesus called to follow him. Many scholars believe he was probably Jesus' closest earthly friend. And he's the one who wrote the book that we're looking at here today. The Gospel of John is named after him because he wrote it, John the Apostle. The other guy that we read about in in scripture whose name is John is John the Baptist. Do you know why they call him John the Baptist? Because he wasn't Presbyterian. Did you get that? Did you get that? Okay, all right. That's not true. That's not true. That's not why they called him that. The reason they called him that was because he baptized people. Not because of his denomination, but because that was his job description. That's, that's what he did. That was kind of his nickname. He was a pretty radical individual for his time. You can read about him in the beginning of the Gospels. It's believed he was the cousin of Jesus. And he was called by God to prophetically announce to the world the coming of the Messiah, who was Jesus. So he's a pretty significant character here, John the Baptist which raises the question, if Jesus was baptizing and John was baptizing, why is baptism important? And something good for us to consider today, where we're gonna baptize probably before the day's over close to 30 people. Why is baptism important? In the first century in Judaism, it wasn't uncommon for there to be ritual cleansings or ritual baptisms. In fact, there were different kind of like, like we have Christian denominations. They had different subgroups of Judaism, often called sects. And these different sects would have different practices. And some of them practiced ritual cleansing or ritual baptism, even to the point that sometimes they would, they would be baptized in these pools even before a meal, before you would go into the holy part of the temple, you would have to be baptized to show that you were ritually pure as you went into that place. And so baptism had become, even in some circles, kind of commonplace. But then there were these kind of subgroups, which would be like what John the Baptist or Jesus was, that used baptism as almost a a rite of initiation. It showed that you were crossing a line, that you were saying, I believe this, I profess this, I stand with this teacher, I follow this teaching, and as a result, you would be baptized. 
This is what was happening when people were coming out to John the Baptist because he was preaching a radical message of repentance and people would be baptized. This is what was happening when people were coming out to Jesus because Jesus was teaching them about the coming of the kingdom of God and if they bought into that, then they would be baptized. In the same way, baptism is really important for us today. Let let me show you a couple of reasons why. One is that baptism expresses the repentance of sins. Baptism expresses the repentance of sins. What is repentance? The idea behind repentance is to turn. To turn away from what is wrong and to turn to what is right. The idea is that I know that the direction I'm heading in is the wrong direction. The things that I'm doing are not things that please God. And so I will repent of that, I will turn from that, and instead I will turn to him. This was actually John the Baptist's message that he preached. Look at this, Mark chapter one, verse four. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So he was calling people to repentance in the same way when people are baptized today out in the, in the tank in the parking lot. It's a call to repentance. And we're gonna invite you to go out there and to celebrate with them this act of repentance, to say I am turning from my sin and I am turning to God, which shows this second part about baptism, that baptism expresses the profession of faith. It's not just the repentance of sin, but baptism expresses the profession of faith. Baptism expresses the profession of faith. So when John baptized people, they were saying, we believe this. When Jesus baptized people, they were saying, we believe this. And when you are baptized today, you're making a statement, you're professing your faith in Jesus Christ, that you believe in him, that you put your faith and your hope in him. Which leads us to to really, I think the powerful part about baptism is that baptism expresses the new life in Christ. Baptism expresses the new life in Christ. There's this powerful, symbolic picture in baptism about what Jesus Christ has done for us. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. Look at this, Romans chapter six, verse three. He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. There's this powerful picture in baptism. Here's the idea. When you you stand in that baptismal water, whether it's in a tank, I was baptized in a pond, maybe you've been baptized in a river, when you come to that moment of baptism, you, you walk into that tank and the picture is that you're still in your sins because all of us, scripture says, have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and we are in need of that forgiveness. So when you go into that water, the picture is that you are still symbolically in your sin, and then you go down into that water. Now that water is a picture of cleansing, 
of having yourself cleansed from sin, but to do that, you see what you have to do? You have to go down in and you have to die to your sins. Sometimes when I baptize certain people, I felt like they had to die a little bit longer under that water, <laughs> right? You, the picture is you die to your sin, but then just as Jesus was risen from the dead, you are risen again to new life and you come up out of the water. So sometimes you'll see people emotional and celebrate at their baptism. It's not because they're breathing again. Do you know why? It's because of what Christ has done in their life. That's the picture of this. The picture is that I was dead in my sin. My life didn't have hope, my life didn't have peace, my life didn't have joy, my life didn't have purpose until I found Christ. And when I did, what was in me died that needed to die and what came out was the real new me that's alive in Christ. That's the picture of baptism. That's, That's the point. And we celebrate that. So at the end of the service, I'm gonna ask you to do this. See, what's cool about some of the things with our, with our service changes is the times mix around a little bit and things happen, but it's gonna be just like a normal Sunday for you. At the end of the service, I'm gonna ask you to just head right out into the parking lot, just out the front doors. You can do that either on this side or the center. We've got the tank that's out there. We're gonna gather around. We're handing out popsicles, because what says baptism celebration but popsicles, praise God, right? <laughs> so we're gonna, we're gonna go out there, and then when we go out there, okay we're going to celebrate when someone's baptized we've got 20 people when when we go out there when they come up out of the water wouldn't it be cool that we made so much noise the police showed up I mean that would be because it's so cool we're baptizing in front of God mommy and everybody because it's a profession of what Christ has done for us so we celebrate your lunch will wait go out there and celebrate except it's cool now we clap now. I've seen a lot of baptisms. And at some point, there's this tendency to let it get a little old. Yeah, it's just another baptism. I know what Jesus did. I know what he did for me. In fact, the truth is our, our whole faith can kind of start to go that way. What happens is we let all the different things in life start to, to bring us to a point where we miss out on what God is doing. We're gonna see this in this text in just a moment. This was a great time for Jesus and John the Baptist and his disciples. They were having huge success. They were touching people's lives. And even in the midst of that, do you know what their focus became? Their focus did not become the good things God was doing. Their focus became the distractions that were coming their way. Have you ever been distracted? I had the privilege yesterday of... um, performing a wedding that was really a cool thing for me because both of the both the bride and the groom grew up here at Calvary and at one point I had been their children's pastor I mean literally I can I can see in my memory both of them sitting in in kids church we had the girls on one side and the boys on the other and the two shall never meet that was that aisle that was right there you keep your eyes and your hands off of her boys I mean that was the way that that worked back then and then after high school, these two um, hadn't really known each other after high school. They did, and it was just, it was fun for me to be there yesterday and to officiate that wedding ceremony. And one of the things that I do just about at every wedding is I try to encourage the bride and groom, remember this moment, okay? Don't take this for granted. The love that you feel right now, how special you feel about each other, don't forget this because life is gonna send you distractions, There'll be plenty of things that will come that will cause you to shift your focus in other directions. 
the busyness of work and school, the responsibilities and obligations of life, the demands on your time. It's gonna be things that will come in life where you will get disappointed with circumstances. You might even get disappointed with each other. You won't live up to each other's expectations and these things will happen. And if you're not careful, the things that come to us in life can have a tendency to distract us from the things that really matter. This is just how distractions work. How do you know if you're distracted? Let me give you a little definition. You're distracted when you give more value to that which is less than to that which is greater. You're distracted when you place more value, when you give more value to the thing that is less than that which is greater. Let me give you just a a real clear example that a lot of us can relate to. Have you heard the term distracted driving? Okay, so you're driving, you're on the highway, and you should be looking out this window, instead you're looking at this window. What's more important in the moment? Your life or Pokemon? No, 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 I just, I was just, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how that works. But what's, what, you know, you get a text, and you're like, oh, I need to. Oh, they probably want to know. And you got to realize, what's more important in that? Let's call it a distracted driving, because which one is of greater value, the windshield or your phone? <laughs> probably the windshield, since your life depends on it. What are we all so prone and quick and tempted to do? Let me just see what she said. Right? We're distracted from the greater by the less. That's distraction. Many of us live with with a distracted family. We know what's of real value. We know where we really need to be putting our focus and our attention. And instead of focusing on those long-term relationships in our home, we put focus on our work. We try to push everybody aside because we just want to see which gold medal Michael Phelps just won. And all those things may be good things, but at what point have we put more value on that which is less than we should on that which is greater? Reality is somebody is probably distracted in all of their living with short-term goals instead of a long-term focus. In this story, what you're about to see is some distractions that came in a really, really good time for John the Baptist and Jesus. And there still were these distractions that came. There's plenty of distractions from the text. I just want to show you two. And 2,000 years later, we're still distracted by the same things. One of those is the distraction of religion. The distraction of religion. That we can get so focused on rules and regulations and religiosity that we, that we miss the thing that is greater. Look at this, John chapter three, verse 25. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They began to argue about the right way to do baptism. Should it be done like this or should it be done like that? And they, they're, they're debating the finer points. And what's interesting is we read through this story, you'll find that John the Baptist never even acknowledges it. It had no value whatsoever. It was what they were focused on, it was what they were debating, it was what they were arguing about, but it had no real value to what was going on here. There's so many things in life that we get uptight about that really don't matter. And for many of us, we do it all the time about religion, what denomination we are, what we believe about things that do not matter, what separates us, what is not right about the other person. Now look, understand this, doctrine is critically important. 
It's critical that you know and understand what you believe. And in the day and time that we live in, our, our beliefs as followers of Jesus Christ are going to be challenged more and more and more all the time. It's important that you know what you believe. But if you're spending all your energy on minutia, if you're looking for places to argue, or if you've let religion distract you from what really matters, I wanna encourage you, you're focusing on the less instead of the greater. Maybe you've let religion keep you from a relationship with God. Maybe you've thought that just your spiritual pedigree is what handles that relationship with God, and yet it's so much more. Maybe you have a distaste for the church, a frustration with Christians, Maybe you have a distrust for God. And I wanna challenge you today where your focus should be. So many of us get caught up with religion when our focus really needs to be on Jesus. That's where our focus should be. Don't allow yourself to get distracted by religion. And I'd also challenge you, don't let yourself get distracted by self. Here's the second thing that we see here, the distraction of self. The distraction of self of self, sometimes I can so quickly get so focused on myself. This is what happened to John the Baptist's disciples. Watch what happens here. John chapter three, verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, isn't it interesting that they don't use his name? I'm sure they knew his name. But as they're saying that, they're kind of, they're, they're not giving him enough credit to even use his name. You know that guy you talked about? Look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. Do you hear what he's saying there? John, do you realize what's going on? When was the last time you were on Facebook? Jesus has more likes than you. Everybody's retweeting him, they're not retweeting you. What does this mean, John? You have got to step up your social media game. More people are getting baptized by him than by us. What are we gonna do about this? It was the distraction of self. They missed what really mattered. They weren't seeing what was really important. They were asking the same questions. They're the wrong questions. But they were asking some of the same questions we ask. Who's more important than me? Who's more successful than me? What do they have that I wish I had? They were focused on themselves instead of being focused on him. Now the answer that we're about to look like from John, remember they've come and asked this question, John, Jesus is becoming more popular than you, what are you going to do? His answer is brilliant. And he gives it to us in a way that we can put it into our lives and we can live it. Remember what he said in John 3.30, he must become greater I must become less. And until you're willing to clean out your closet and get rid of some things, you're not gonna be able to experience the greater in your life. To have something greater, you must lose something less. So what John says next, and these things are critical for us to see, are gonna help us to know, how do I do this? How do I decrease? so he can increase. If I want more of God in my life, what has to come out of my spiritual closet? John's gonna walk us through three things that I want you to see in this text so that he may increase and you will decrease. They're decisions that you have to make. He gives it to us so clearly. The first one is this, that I choose Jesus' desires over mine. 
I choose Jesus' desires over mine. What's a desire? Well, desire is, is what I want to have. It's what I want to have. It's maybe something that's, that's good. It may be something I'm jealous of. It may be something I lust after. It comes in different forms. It might be stuff. It might be sin. It might be success. But are there desires that are driving my life that are not from God? Look what John said in answer to the question. Remember they said, John, Jesus is getting more popular. What are you gonna do? He says this, John 3, 27. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. If you want truly what you should have in life, understand this, it only comes from God. God, my desires need to match up to your desires. Every good thing you have comes from God. Whether you realize that or not, whether you feel like you're in right relationship with God or not, whether you even care about God or not, the truth is everything you have that's good has come from him. Listen to what scripture says, James chapter one, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He is, of all good things, he is our source. Have you ever done this? Maybe you had a conversation. Ron and I have this conversation every so often where, where I, I share something with her that I heard or she tells me something somebody said and every so often we have to go as we're talking about this, well, consider the source. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right, you gotta think about who you heard that from. Well, sometimes he says, ah, sometimes she, you know, well, okay, well, you gotta consider the source. Well, boy, they, they never exaggerate, so that's probably something that's true. We better consider the source. When you see the good things that are coming in your life, you probably should consider the source. It comes from him. And so many times we chase after our own desires. We chase after the things that we want when the reality is if we want God's greater things for us, it may mean we have to push out and lose some of the old. Some of those desires aren't necessarily bad things. They're just distracting you from what God wants to do. Some of those things might be habits or desires that are literally destroying you on the inside. And until you're willing to say, I'm going to get rid of that less so I can have God's greater, you're gonna be stuck where you are. It reminds me of this shirt, which is one that was so clearly communicated to me. You must never wear this. You must never wear this. I said that in first service, and the guy that was sitting right down here, he yelled out, he goes, wear it then. I, I think they'll be calling for counseling sometime later this week, right? Here's the deal, not only should I not wear this, but now I know that, that someone who, who means the world to me doesn't want me to wear this. And if that's true, then wearing this would not only be a fashion mistake, but it would put a wedge in our relationship. It would be, all the wives are like, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> Honey, we're cleaning out the closet today in Jesus' name. I mean, that's what, right? <laughs> sorry, guys, sorry, guys, this is, Unintended consequence. But you know what? If I, really, if I love her, I'm gonna say, all right, done. Because I don't, I don't want that there. How many things do I chase after? And I know they're not God's desires for me, but they're my desires, so I go after them anyways. The reality is, if he's gonna become greater and I'm gonna become less, at some point I have to say, Jesus, I choose your desires over my desires. Does that make sense? 
Second thing John says, I choose Jesus' will over mine. I choose Jesus' will over mine. If desires are what I want to have, then his will is is what I'm gonna do or, or who I'm going to be. I'm gonna chase after his will for my life, his plan, his direction, his purpose for my life, who I'm going to be, what I'm going to do. Listen to what, what John the Baptist says. He says, you yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. Do you, do you know what every Jewish mother in the first century prayed for her son to be? She prayed for him to be the Messiah. The Messiah was the one who had been prophesied for years was going to come and set Israel, set the Jewish people free. And every mother's prayer was that their male child would be the Messiah that was prophesied about. And now people are rolling up and they're saying to John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? Are you the guy? Are you the one we're waiting for? That could go to your head, couldn't it? Well, it just might be. (laughs) Kind of look like a Messiah. Maybe I am. Real quick, you could chase after your will because of the voices that you heard, or the stuff that you thought, but John knew this. He said, I want God's will, not my will. I'm not gonna run my track, I'm gonna run his track for my life. I'm gonna do and be what he's called me to do and be. Now what happens sometimes is we disregard God's will and we start chasing after it for ourselves. And we start to think a little more highly of ourselves than we ought to. I think that's why they call it a Messiah complex. Have you ever heard that? We go after something that we want that's outside of God's will. And our eyes get bigger maybe than God's stomach. Does that make sense? Do you know what happens? We always stumble when we try to be something other than what God has called us to be. We always stumble. If you put on clothes that are too big and you start walking around in them, They don't fit you, what happens? You're gonna trip, you're gonna stumble because you're trying to take on something that's not yours to take on. You will always stumble when you try to be something other than what God has called us to be. And for some of you, God's putting a little check in your heart right now and saying, look, quit trying to push yourself outside of my will and be content in what I've called you to do. To be content in in my plan for your life, and trust me in that. The the opposite's true about this sometimes too, because some of us, we try to push beyond God's will, others of us don't wanna be comfortable in his will. He may be calling you and challenging you, kinda prodding you to do something for him. Maybe share your faith, or change your relationship, or live your life in a certain way. Maybe even make a decision that could have some some pretty dynamic consequences and ramifications with it. Maybe it's just as simple as starting to live according to his word, the Bible. But you're you're pushing against that because you, you don't see that as God's will and you're struggling to move forward in that. Sometimes because you think too little of yourself. I'm gonna just tell you the truth. This shirt should not be worn by this guy. Right? Because it's too small. I'm gonna struggle if I put this on. It's not gonna fit right, it's gonna restrict me. I'm gonna struggle to get this on. I shouldn't wear this. 
And some of you view yourself as too small for God's will and you struggle in that because you keep fighting against what he wants for you to do. We always struggle when we try to do something other than what God has called us to do. You'll never be happy and satisfied until you say, God, I surrender my will to yours. I give you the steering wheel of my life. You drive this thing. I put my trust in you. Why does that matter? Why is the will of God important? 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Wow. It's a pretty good word. So at some point, it's time to say, God, I, I take my desires and I choose yours instead of mine. I choose your will instead of my will. And here's a third one. I choose Jesus' fame over mine. I choose Jesus' fame over mine. John, John, look, they're they're all going out to Jesus and he's baptizing a lot of people. What are you gonna do about it? They were worried that John's polling numbers were gonna go down. That he wasn't gonna be the top baptizer in town. That he might have to give away the title, the Baptist. Here's what he said, John 3, 29. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. Powerful illustration there. I'm I'm not able to do as many weddings as I used to because because of my schedule, but this summer has been really cool for me because I've done four weddings this summer all four individuals who at one point were a part of the kids' church here at Calvary. And it was just a real, it's just kind of a cool long-term connection and know the families. It's been fun to watch uh, these young people grow up and make decisions to follow and serve the Lord and their choice of a mate. And, and it's just cool to be a part of those weddings. And so we, we, get, we get to those weddings and, then, and I'm, I'm ready to come out. You're usually off to the side and then they get the parents seated. And then the first person who comes out and hits that platform front and center is me. Man, I'm in my suit. I got my little notebook of brilliance. I'm like, come on, boys, let's go. And we go walking out, and I get up to my spot, and when I do, every eye in the place is fixed on me, and it is awesome. <laughs> Till they realize that this joker's standing here next to me, the groom. And then all of a sudden, I don't matter as much because he's, he's kind of the, what do they call it, best supporting actor, right? <laughs> because then at some point, the star of the show comes in. And when she does, every eye is turned on her. And all of a sudden, I don't matter anymore. <laughs> How weird would it be if as the bride came in, I said, eyes up here, people, eyes up here, right here. <laughs> a little out of place, right? Not what it's all about. I've been a little disappointed. Every one of these weddings, when the time comes for them to take pictures after the ceremony, I've never been in all the pictures. They have, I haven't. I was the first one out there. Isn't this all about me? No, it's not. It's not all about me. Here's what John's saying. Look, this isn't about me. It's not about my fame. It's not about what people think about me or how they respond to me. It's about his fame. It's about who he is. It's about whether or not they see him in my life that he must increase, Chad must decrease. I don't care how good he looks in that wedding suit. Jesus must increase, Chad must decrease. 
He must increase. You must decrease. He must become greater. You, you're not the center of attention. You must become less. Do you know what happens when you wear this shirt? As I have in days past. You are the center of attention. My family has made it very clear. You wear this shirt. You'll be the center of something. Won't be our family. You know what that means? I don't need to draw that kind of attention to myself. It's time to get it out of the way. Because then something better, something greater can come in. Some of us are so focused on ourselves and what others think and about where I'm headed that we've missed the fact he must increase. I must decrease. It's not about me. It's all about him. I was with a friend this week. We were talking about our, our Christian walk, about our following Jesus. And he used this analogy that just struck me when he shared it with me. I thought it was, just, it was helpful for me. It was really powerful. He said that when he's, um, he's just going through life, whether he's having a good day or a tough day, whether he's facing different stresses or maybe even dealing with temptation, sometimes he'll just stop and he'll picture that he's actually going through life physically following Jesus, that Jesus is, is standing there right in front of him. You know, when Jesus called people to be his disciples, he used this term. He says, I'm calling you to follow me, right? Isn't that what he said? And so my friend says, what I do is I picture that literally I am following Jesus. And here's what I've found, that if I'll go through my life with my eyes fixed basically on the back of Jesus' head, does that make sense? If I keep my eyes on him and I go where he goes and I trust that he's leading me, then I find that my life is filled with so much more peace and so much more joy and so much more freedom and I actually see more blessing come my way when I follow him. He says, but what I'm prone to do most of the time is to look around him and I look over his shoulder and I try to see what's coming up ahead so I can give him some advice. Or I see, squirrel, I see something over here. And I start looking at this instead of looking at him. Or I'm distracted by that. Wow, what is that? Instead of following him. And when I stop looking at him, then I get off course and I lose out and I find that my desires and my will and my quest for fame keep me from all the things that I can find in him. And I'm so much better when my focus and my eyes are on following him and not on everything else around me that I take my eyes, I shift them off of myself and I say this, he must increase, I must decrease. Does that make sense? I thought it was a beautiful picture. And probably a great thing for you and I to be challenged with today. Jesus said, follow me. The question is, where's your focus? You've been looking over his shoulder, kind of off to the side, maybe even sometimes you're stuck staring behind going, I can't believe that happened. When he says, just put your sets, set your sights on me. Let me increase in your life. Yeah, you may have to get rid of a few things. But you'll always be glad that you traded out what was less for that which was greater. So I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Do this with me. Just kind of open up the door to your spiritual closet for a minute. 
You see anything there that shouldn't be there anymore? Maybe something that you know isn't the right thing for for you to have hanging there in your life. Maybe it just doesn't fit you anymore. Maybe you look at it and you go, I'm not that person that I used to be. Maybe you know that every time you wear that, it just puts a wedge between you and the one who loved you so much that that he died to save you. Maybe it's time to take an evaluation of your desires and your will and and that search for personal fame. Pull it out of that closet. Set it in the hands of the one who loves you so much and say, Jesus, you must increase. I must decrease. Just kind of as a simple way to acknowledge just between you and God, as heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, whether you're here in Auditorium 1, Auditorium 2, maybe you're watching this on a screen somewhere. But you just say, God, there's some things in my closet that need to come out so that I can make room for you to increase in my life. Today, I hand them over to you. That's you. Would you just raise your hand? You don't have to keep it up. Just put it up, put it right back down. Just say, God, I acknowledge that's me. You must increase. I must decrease. I'll pray here in just a minute. Anybody else? Lord, I, I set this aside. Let me become less so that you can become greater. Look, for some of you, it, it might even be You'd say it's not a matter that he needs to increase. He, he just needs to be there at all. Maybe you've come in here today and you knew there was something, something that's, that's missing in your life. And you know that you're not in right relationship with God. As we talked about, the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There's this, there's this wedge between us and him. But that's why Jesus came and he died on the cross. He lived a life without any sin. Look, this is more than a story. This happened. He died on that cross, and in doing that, he paid the price for your sins and for my sins, and then on the third day, he rose again so that we could have life. And he says that 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 kind of forgiveness and joy and hope and purpose is, is not anything that you have to earn or you have to work for, or maybe if you clean up your act, you might be good enough to get it. He says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will know his saving power. And maybe at one point you were right with God, but you've since walked away from that relationship. He didn't walk away. But you know that you maybe became greater in your own life to a point that, that you've pushed Jesus out of the closet. Or maybe you've never had that relationship with him. And you know that you can't do it on your own anymore. And today you want to begin that. If, if either one of those situations seems to fit where you are today, I want to pray with you. I'm just going to ask this. If you'd say, Chad, today I need to begin or begin again a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Just keep it up for just a minute. Yeah, I, I need to make him my Lord and my Savior. Thanks, thanks. Today I need to begin
begin again that relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to pray together here in just a minute. Anybody else? Yeah, thanks. If you raised your hand, or if you know that you have that personal relationship with Jesus, would you, would you repeat this? Would you pray this prayer with me? Don't just say the words. I, I challenge you to pray it from your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sin, change my life. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life, I pray. May you become greater and I become less. In Jesus' name, amen.